some Gary Crit. What's up, podcast people? Hello, hello, hello. Back for episode 50. Oh my God, not with a glowing microphone. She is ready with the blue light. It always has a blue light. I just never put it in frame. But yeah, I I was going to say, I've never seen that before. Look at you. All professional. (laughs) Oh, wait, did you just say episode 50? Yeah. Oh my God, guys, we have made it to episode 50. Can you believe it already? This is so much fun. I love this. (laughs) This is a fun time. Uh, It is. We have fun here. We do. And quick announcement. I was going to might as well say it now because we were so we were, you know, y'all y'all know, usually we get to like the 50, the 40, the 30 and take a break. You know, but 10 episodes, you know, we refuse to miss Black History Month. <laughs> we just couldn't do it. We refuse. So y'all have extra episodes. And there's an there's like a special episode that was supposed to get published around like December. Didn't happen. So you're going to get that too. Surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. You get an episode. You, get an, you episode. get an episode. Everybody gets an episode. Look under your seat. <laughs> so you're welcome in advance. Um, so you got us until, I mean, well, we, we still gonna be here, but I'm just saying you guys, season five has been extended until the end of February. So get excited because we come in. Yes, we are. <laughs> so, but yeah, with that, I think we should call the Negronomicon. Oh my God, where is that thing? Oh, oh, there it is. It's coming down from the ski lift. Come on. <laughs> and on our first page, something that Mel is not pleased with, but I'm entertained by, is the fact that it's official. Ghostface will be back on our screen soon because um, um, Scream 6 has officially been greenlit. Mm. Yep, it's coming. And it's so unnecessary. It was so like I get it. Scream five made a butt ton of money. I feel you. Did we need a sixth one? How many Scream movies are we gonna get? Um, something you did say. This is this is off the podcast, but something you did say is, um, with this next one, they do not need to focus on Sydney anymore. Yeah, they can't. Like it's. Ugh. I mean, and spoilers for those who haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, just um, skip ahead. We'll we'll have timestamps. But I mean, the the Meeks twins survived. Chad and um, Mindy survived, and I would love to have the sequel focus on them. But you know what? We are we are this six has to be the last one. We are approaching. We we are in Thin Man territory. Have you ever seen the Thin Man? It sounds familiar. Thin Man is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's William Powell and Myrna Loy. And there there was an original and it did very, very well. And that film had five sequels. So in total, there are six films. That's it. No more, no less. So I feel like if they're going to do a sixth one, this has to be it. I don't know where I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't know where they're gonna go, but I just feel like they had a good cast of characters from this last one. Um, because I mean, our main character from this one was already focused on. Like I said, let's move to the Meeks twins. Like they they truly stole the show for me, and I feel like there is so much y'all can do with them. I, I really do. Jasmine and um, Mason, I feel like they're ready. I think they got this. Um, I just, I want to, and especially with, um, 
like it would just be so refreshing to see a screen movie with black leads. Yeah. Or like majority black cast. Like it's just time it it it's time. Like it would it would I just think that it's it's time. Especially how they ate up the screen. So each time they were on it with this with this with the fifth one. So I think they can but- do mm. I think that's where I'm trying to rack my brain as like, what could this possibly be about? Yeah, I don't know. Because it wasn't about the gang of them, right? Because the original sequel, everyone went to college. So it just kind of picked up in, in college, like whatever. What could we do with the same group of people in a sequel situation? Because they were, they were in high school in this one, right? Yeah, but we never really, like, we never, we weren't in the school. They didn't really talk about, like, what grade they were in or whatever was happening, blah, 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 blah. So, like, I don't know. I don't know, but I just hope that, like they did with this one, they take their time on crafting a really good story. Because my my fear is that this one is just a, inherently it probably is this, but I'm I'm, I'm scared that it's just, like, a, a a cash grab. Of course it is. Scream 5 made so much money, the studio said, we're going to do it again. I think it's sitting at $120 million right now. Which, which for... But which, I just, I think that for the sixth one, though, that it can't be, it can't be another super meta satire again. I don't think that would work twice. I don't, you're right, because this one was really heavy, but it worked. But yeah, if you, if they were to do it again, it would be too familiar what else could you say? Yeah, it's, I don't know. I, you know what, I, I am, if they, if, if they retain Mason and Jasmine for the next one, I will have more faith in it. But right now I'm just like, uh, uh, I'll, I'll see where it goes. But if y'all, I know y'all already making this, you know, to make more money, but please just like, like y'all did with the fifth one, really see how y'all can make the sixth one work with a really good story that diverges from what the fifth one did. I mean, that's, that's gonna, it's, it's gonna be tough. I mean, but like also, or don't, cause we're all gonna go watch it anyway. They know that. <laughs> that's the sad thing. Was this necessary? No. Are we all gonna go buy tickets and watch it? Yeah. Okay. Um, next page. Um, on Disney Plus, we are getting a revival of the amazing, ever so famous, 90 Baby's favorite, Goosebumps. So it has been greenlit by Disney Plus. Um, R.L. Stein posted it himself as well. So we are getting a modern day, you know, Goosebumps for today's generation or just for today on Disney Plus coming soon. My guess is it, since it was just now greenlit, we're probably going to get this sometime next year. Um, and Mel and I have actually talked about this before, like what would a modern day Goosebumps look like? Because we're not in the nineties anymore. Um, the things that scared us, I don't think scare, basically children of today, they find other things scary that, that we, that the things that we found scary, they find different things scary. So how are y'all? going to what what are what are y'all going to do for to like really give this current generation of kids goosebumps they're giving them from from reading have you read the the series description of what it's of what the over like what the the idea is oh yeah it's kind of like so while whereas the um original that we grew up with was like a 
anthology. Um, anthology, like every episode was like a standalone. Sometimes they were connected, but every episode was like a standalone. It was a new character. You'd like kind of like a new monster of the week. You know, this one is like, it's, I know it's being set in a school with the core group of characters, right? Yeah, it's going to follow a group of five high, five high school kids. Oh, high schoolers. Mm-hmm, high schoolers. Who, which is Interesting. weird. Interesting. Be- I don't that I don't like, but yes, five high school kids who unleash supernatural forces in their town, and then they all have to work together to to save the town. And I think they're giving that like it's like a, like a mini um, Riverdale it's kind of like you know what I mean. What is up with that Riverdale formula for the teen shows now? But I'm. It makes me sad that they picked high school kids because I feel like the Disney Plus like target audience like when i was when we were kids fox, we had yeah, shows fox kids yeah that but we there were live action shows with kids that were supposed to be in our age group so like middle school yeah maybe, yeah like 12 right 12 like next classified school survival guide right yeah it was a bunch of middle schoolers trying to figure out life and it's it's upsetting that the show that i remember had kids that were my age in it doing all of this supernatural stuff and then now you're going to have another show with like 15 16 17 year olds running around and i'm like that that's everywhere Mm -hmm. and that's not special and i feel like that does a disservice to what goosebumps at the core is yeah because when you watch that show even if the kids were just slightly older than you, like say if you were eight and they were 12, you could still relate though. Cause they were yes. still like, it's different when they're in high school. Cause that's going to, it's just a different, it's a different mindset. Cause back, back in the early, back in the early 2010s on this channel called the hub, there was RL Stein's um, haunting hour. Mm-hmm. And that was a really, really good. That was a really good show. It was it was like Goosebumps because it was another anthology series. Um, and it focused on, I would say, like, most of the kids were, I would say, uh, middle school age in the episodes. Some of them were high school, but most of it was middle school. And they had some really good episodes, like uh, The Red Dress. That was a really good one um, about, like, it was like a morality tale. Um, the Scarecrow was very, like, very complex. I need to watch that one again really you part one and two which is like the series premiere with bailey madison mm-hmm. that was incredible uh there was one episode yep it was called red eye um the seventh episode of season three such a good episode genuinely creepy like in mm-hmm. um or the mascot the the one in the yellow suit did you do mm-hmm. you, do you remember that one yep that was so good like th- that show worked so well and i feel like if they can kind of carry that same kind of vibe and complexity into this one for disney plus we might have a chance but i'm i hear what you what you're saying when you you're you're concerned about this whole this 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 riverdale formula but because do you know what i thought it was going to be do you remember a show called strange days at blake hosley high that sound okay. That just rang a bell. I can't bring up any any pictures, but that's what channel was that on? Discovery Plus. And what was it called? Strange days. At, Strange days at the Strange Days at Blake Hosley High. That sounds so familiar to me. There was like all these kids. There was like Matt. There was like science. And there was like a black hole on campus. It was like all this stuff. 
I don't I don't believe I've ever watched this before, but uh, the name it rung it rung some kind of bell. But like it was that there was this other show called Truth or Scare with the chick that played Harriet the Spy. Um, oh, Michelle Trachtenberg. Uh huh. And then like, but like Saddle Club and like the Screech Owls. Like I was thinking that that this new version of Goosebumps would look something like those shows from my okay. childhood. Okay. That that was like here are these kids uh-huh. who are put in these situations, but still have the autonomy that you see in high school situations to kind of operate in the world that had high stakes because all of those shows, it's like flight 29 down. There were high stakes everywhere, but these are still kids. Right. You ever see flight 29 down? No. Oh my God. Corbin sorry. Blue, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So this is pre high school musical. Uh-huh. Interesting. It's about these kids. It's basically yellow jackets, but like less Lord of the flies. Oh. So they <laughs> get into a plane at plane crash or whatever. And they're like on a desert Island and have to like figure out how to survive. I learned how to like clean water from watching this show. I was like, oh, you, you put the plastic and you get the water. I thought I was like a survivor. I was like, I could go on Survivor. I'm good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just, yeah, I'm sad about it. So, I mean, I know we're not the target audience, but I love me some goosebumps. So I'll take a peek at it. I still haven't finished their, um, the Just Beyond series that was from R.L. Stein that premiered um, in the fall, which surprised me because I'm just like, didn't they just have like, wasn't Just Beyond kind of like their, their but no, I, I don't think so. Because Just Beyond was more like, it was more Twilight zone kind of like a science fiction-y because mm. Goosebumps and like The Haunting Hour and like uh, The Nightmare Room. Um, those are all like horror based, like horror anthology. Yeah. Just Beyond is more like kind of like mystery, sci-fi, horror too. But um, it this just is listed as a comedy. Goosebumps. Just Beyond. Oh. What? It says comedy anthology series. Comedy horror anthology. Comedy is in it, but it's not like the main. It's not like a mainstay. It's not like the main. You know, just like there were funny moments and goosebumps, but it was horror. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's an interesting way to categorize it. Uh, but yeah, um, so it's coming back, and I will be there to watch. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. Well, okay, we should uh, close no romcon. Go back, go down the bunny slope. There it goes. <laughs> there it goes. Okay, and um, sit. All right, last week we kind of wanted to you know, get into lovey-dovey land with Valentine, you know, just to kick off the little Valentine's Day season. But um, we also, we just wanted to get back in the snow real quick um, for our last winter theme episode of season five. Um, we are taking a trip down to Antarctica. We actually have talked about this one before briefly though, like very, way, way, way back. Oh yeah, your top five episode. In top five, so we're we're going to actually officially crit one of my top five, which is actually my favorite horror film. For the people who don't know, um, John Carpenter's 1982 film, The Thing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay, so Mel, I want to start off by asking, what was your introduction to this film? How did you first see it? Oh, God, I don't remember. 
I might have just seen it in college, honestly. I don't remember. So, way back in the day, like, way, way back in the day, like, little, little, little Jared, little me, little, like, toddler me, um, my dad actually had this on tape. Like, on the VHS, y'all. On the VHS, y'all, okay? Way back when. I cannot believe that there are people today, there are young people today who do not know what a VHS is. I'm not, I mean, they don't know what a blockbuster is. They, they don't, they don't know the joy of going to a blockbuster on a Friday night. Technologies. Obsolete technologies. And picking out like a new release to watch at home. But you know, I was thinking about that. Do you, do you, I always like find myself scrolling for like almost as long as I watch a movie, right? Like I just be scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I, re- I realized that the same behavior happened in the blockbuster. Like you would walk around, like I would walk up and down and up and down. If I didn't have like a movie that I wanted to watch, I would just peruse. Just explore. <laughs> but, but I had a time limit because when my mom was ready to go. She we was ready, ready to, to go. go. <laughs> so if you didn't pick anything, that's it poo-poo on you because you should have fixed something. <laughs> no, I completely understand. I my mainstay was the goosebumps because you know they had the VHS tapes out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I would always, I would always, always, always go in there looking for goosebumps. Always. But um yes, my dad owned this on VHS. And I specifically remember like a core memory of mine is the scene with my the core d- memory with I the blue orb. <laughs> What was what was uh discussed was green. This is like a this is like a green and yellow orb. So like mm-hmm. disgust and happiness, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Because I'm watching because it's just like, oh my god, this is like this is this, this is scary, but I'm like, I'm intrigued. But it was a core memory of the scene of the dog in the kennel. Oh god. I only remember bits and pieces, but I remember it was that scene. And I just, I just like, what? Yeah, because it, that it amped up when this movie amps up quickly. Like, like what? So yeah, that was the core memory. And then the thing's influence is in so many different um, horror films or horror TV shows, even video games. I mean, Among Us. Come on, come on. This classic, <laughs> the thing. Um, even this anime series called Parasite, like the Maxim, like it's just everywhere. And then when I was in college, I had um, trade. <laughs> um, he was not big on horror films at all. He hated them, but this is the only one. This is the only one he actually gave props to. Oh, wow. So I was just like, okay, wow. We're, we're, that's saying something. So yeah, I've, I've known about this movie for, uh, for like since childhood, very, very, very long time ago, but it it really just stuck out to me when I grew up and then in adulthood because for one the effects they just yeah. they stand the test of time and Yo, there is nothing there is nothing like eighties horror practical effects nothing they had something to prove y'all <laughs> they had something to prove like every day every day so. Um, and just like the the tension building, the suspense, the score, the cast, the setting, like it's you just... know that unused music from this score, Quentin Tarantino put in the Hateful Eight. 
I did not know that. What a fun fact. Quentin, this movie is in all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. All of them. The flamethrower moment from um, the new Leonardo DiCaprio thing, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is directly <laughs> from this. The, the basic plot of the hateful eight that they're stuck in the in isolation in the snow with these one men. of these things is not like the other and then the whole the, the also the concept of like all of these men stuck in a place like battling it out is like reservoir dogs yep yeah without yep. john carpenter there is no quentin tarantino <laughs> you already hear folks you already hear folks and that's okay like the inspiration hey so um for those okay. of you- question before we get into it oh yes have you read the story that this is based off of who goes there i actually do have it downloaded but i have not read it okay and then i know i asked you off off pod but i'm gonna ask you on pod have you watched the 1951 film um the thing from outer space yes the answer to that is no, and I apologize because I know I'm a sheltered, uncultured swine. I don't need you and Ethan showing up at my house, <laughs> forcing me to watch these to watch things. This movie. <laughs> but it's interesting because the thing from another world, that's why the opening sequence of this movie is the way that it is. Yep, the and spaceship. why the, but not even with the spaceship, the, the I'm talking about the actual title. Oh, sequence. yeah with the thing and the way that it burns in because that is the original opening of the thing from outer space. Like it's in the same font and it burns into the screen. And then we go to Antarctica. Isn't that cool though? No other, no movies do that shit nowadays. Yeah. Some of them don't even show the title. They just, start. So when did that start? When did that start? Where, where main mainstream theatrical releases, they just stopped showing the title. They just jump straight into the film. I don't know. I just. But this, so, okay. I'm going to nerd out for five seconds. So the original thing from outer space is an RKO production. Gives my heart so much joy with the, because it has the little thing. It goes. <laughs> Ever. Um, but yeah, the, the title sequences are all like standard 50s title sequences where everything is like on a card. And it's like producer, director, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And it goes through all of like the yep. them people. And then it yep. does the title. title it it's, it's, it's very 80s, y'all. It's very 80s. No, so, that's the 50s. Oh, fif- the 50s. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> so for those of you who have never seen the thing, I will give you a short synopsis. The film takes place in a desolate area in the Ar- in Antarctica in an outpost where a flying saucer that crashed thousands and thousands of years ago was unearthed from the ice and a shape-shifting alien predator was released because, <laughs> of course it was. Um, and <laughs> the predator replicates the appearance of its victims and then the creature Perfectly. hides inside of their victims um, until its Lovecraftian form can be released. Yeah, sowing discord and chaos among the crew. They cannot trust each other. And basically, they have to um, make sure they kill it before it can escape or kill all of them. Right. Percentage kill of, or be killed. If, if, what was the, what did the computer say? If released, 75% of the entire world population will be infected in. Life. No, no. It said, it said, um, that was the first part. It said, um, um, percentage 
of one or more of the crew already being infected. 75%. 75%. Um, amount of time it would take for um, the whole world to be infected upon first contact. 27,000 hours, which I think is like a couple years. So. Can I tell you though? Doc was in my in that moment. Doc was my favorite person. He's like, I'm not messing around with y'all. Office door locked, revolver loaded, communications gone, helicopter gone. <laughs> he said, he said, you think like that thing wants to be us? I'll kill you. <laughs> oh man, yeah, he went he, like he was. He definitely like went off his rocker but he he wasn't wrong blair blair was not wrong so um there's so much to talk about with this film but i really don't want this episode to be super long so here's here's a here's a place we can start because like as we all know those of us who have been here for many an episode um this is a black horror podcast right And most of the time, (laughs) maybe not most of the time, but half of the time, we find ourselves with films where Black people don't exist in the cinematic universe of the film, right? And I think this is a case, the thing is a case of not a Black horror film, but like Black people in in a horror film. Like this is a world where Black people exist and exist at a level that is not subservient to the rest of the people in the film Mm -hmm. because the the two black people who were in this film is keith david who played childs yep and then tk carter who played how do you say it nalls yep nalls oh and then i talked about this earlier and i know that this is a controversial statement but i and we've had this i've told this story before that when i was in grad school i did this whole like data mining situation and I tracked all these films with black people in it to see who died when and blah 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 blah. everybody want to talk about LL Cool J surviving (laughs) in deep blue sea like Keith David wasn't running around with a flamethrower and I know that people are like oh no he was infected at the end that's debatable yeah so we definitely have to talk about the ending we could let's talk about the ending at the ending (laughs) at the end (laughs) we can do that at the end but yeah I yeah, people people don't give our regard this movie. I would I would say like I think it deserves to be on like that uh, especially in terms of like the character of um Childs with uh Keith David as they do LL Cool J and Deep Blue Sea. Um Keith David was so good and this was this was his very first like major film role. Did you know that? I didn't, but you saying that is not surprising. Cause it, I was when we, I was watching it again, and I was like, it just doesn't look like Keith David. It's so crazy that that's Keith, because it doesn't look like how I see him in my head. How do you see him in your head? <laughs> like the way he looked right now. Oh, older. Yeah. Like 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 Greenleaf. Flat top, salt and pepper, little a couple of wrinkles. You like what's a, this young man? Who is this young man? <laughs> I've never seen him. <laughs> yeah, he was like like 24, 25. And also that this is so weird. Who his is vo- this young man? Yeah, his his voice <laughs> does not help. You cannot tell me that that voice does not belong to a 24, 25 year old. No. It was a lot. 
that's like a that's like the voice of like almost an ancestor it's just like very like you hear it and it just yeah <laughs> did i say I, yeah i said i said keith david i'm not saying david keith again am i no you said you said it right okay so keith david so yeah keith david and Nalls were in this movie um it appeared one of them survived the end Nalls, unfortunately i think died off screen he just he was there then he wasn't he just disappeared oh when that guy got his face sucked yeah it was like i think i think Nalls heard something he went to go investigate and then he died he was, he was just it was just the only person who was left was uh mcready mcready it was just that was it like he just he 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 looked he he it looked like he saw something he walked off and then that was it we didn't yep. hear nothing we did we didn't see him again so we have to assume he got absorbed yep he got taken with this being uh keith david's first major film role it's very interesting to note that because um he keith david has a background in theater so he's mm-hmm. a stage actor this is this was um challenging for him because he wasn't used to having to show restraint um because being a stage actor he had to like show his emotions like all over his face you know in the moment and in this film he had to kind of like dial it back that makes sense because a lot of the times he was doing something weird with his face i'm like what is he doing <laughs> like it look you know when you like like your lips are, you put you push them together like a muppet <laughs> not, not a muppet <laughs> it, it, like he kept, it was like he was thinking about holding his face still yeah yeah so it was like but i i think i but that's just so but that just shows that he is like he is a powerhouse actor and he just has to know how to um not only restrain it but know how to um direct it and at the right level and i think he did a fantastic job and i think you can really see this in his um like crossroads or counterpoints with the uh, mccready because they have they have a very big like um not love hate relationship. relationship. I was gonna say a very hate hate relationship. They do not they do not really like each other, especially when the going gets tough. And then at the end, McCready is a drunk. Yeah, and Childs is is a his his character was very serious. Yeah. So which makes me think, why why was it when there was a scene in the film, y'all? Uh, and if you guys haven't noticed, since this film was a classic we would really implore you to see it if you haven't already, but we're kind of assuming you guys have already seen it and you're familiar. So we're just going to jump around and talk about it. Like, you know what we're talking about. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there's a scene in the movie where um, after, I think his name is Gary, like the, the captain, after he get after he gives up um, basically control being like the leader of the group, he relinquishes it to someone else in the group and first they they try for norris um who says um i don't think i'm up to it boss and i by by the way norris was assimilated by then yep so and they didn't know it yet they didn't know yet but and so then that just leaves basically uh, macready and childs and when childs tries to take the gun McCready jumps in and takes it and says, like, no way, like, you're not, you're not even like, this role requires someone with more emotional stability. And I'm just like, what the fuck? 
because I'm thinking how different would have things been or how would it how how would the move change if Childs was the leader instead of MacReady? Well, I mean, from that comment, I don't think anyone would have listened to Childs. Because uh, they all yeah, they all seem to not even want Childs to get it. Do you see how everybody kind of like protested when he went for the gun? Yep. I mean, but then like even towards the end, the only way that people listened to McReady was when he had dynamite strapped to his body. So true. Because <laughs> I think that, that that is is the reason why this film has really stood the test of time. Because those ideas of like paranoia and yep. not being able to trust people, but being stuck with people and like having to figure it out it is is very real and very honest. Yeah. And and again, when when the stakes are high when the going gets tough and it feels like it has to be every man for himself, but you guys are like essentially being forced to work together, even though you don't trust each other, it's going to bring out like some feelings. So to see that kind of not either like no one or not a lot of people were teen childs and they just automatically defaulted to McReady. I'm just trying to think like, what was the reasoning for that? Like if, if we're going to look at like interse- intersection level or so- sociological level, was it because like what is it about um a white man in leadership instead of it being a um a black man especially one who doesn't drink right but i think that's the other question right because mcgreedy was the pilot so he even though he was a drunk he had some level of credibility because of his station right we don't know what child's was what child's station was what his like where he fit in the class system of this crew of men. Yeah, they never, yeah, they never, uh, I don't think they define that. Right. So it could be like a, like a social level thing of like, oh, why does this, like the cook, why does the cook think he can be in charge type of a moment, you know? Uh huh. But I do agree with you that I think that in that situation, it, a part of it was because he's black. <laughs> They're like, whoa, wait a minute. What, what? Cause even, cause I think too, that, McReady was set up to kind of be this this weird character when he kept calling the Norwegian people Swedish. Like they're they're no they're 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 Norwegian McReady. And he just kept saying, "Where are the Swedes? Where are the Swedes?" Blah blah blah. blah. So he like there was already a disconnect there within his character to not make those connections of like let me take the time and the care to actually say the correct statement, the correct, um, put the correct affiliation onto a group of people. I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he just, it just seemed like everybody naturally defaulted to him being like the leader because in the scene with the kennel, um, like with the dog in the kennel, um, when, when Clark went to go get everyone, he started the alarm. McCready, I think was one of the first people there. And, not only like started shooting, but um, was giving out orders like go get go get mm-hmm. Childs and tell him to bring the flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Like so, maybe he's just, maybe it's just natural. Maybe just natural born leader, and he was just written to be like that. You know the the because I mean, look at K- Kurt Russell. Yeah, that's who Kurt Russell is. On it's screen. Kurt Russell. Like the it took him over a year to grow out his hair and beard for this role, and when you look at, I mean. The ruggedness, the just everything, it just it just screams 
man it just screams and then when it while it's because it's screaming man and while it's screaming man it's screaming like leader dominance blah but you know but you know what the interesting thing is that his their their comment to childs was or his comment to childs was we need someone who's more emotionally stable this is the same man that short-circuited a chess game because he said that the computer cheated <laughs> she said checkmate checkmate and he he poured his little tumbler of scotch into the motherboard and said like you cheating bitch so yeah it, yeah and he was ner- and he, we, th- there were there were several scenes where he was holding on to a, a bottle of J&B mm-hmm. almost like it was a music video and it was pot- product placement yep <laughs> so it's just yeah the, and I'm like Childs is like he was very blunt you know he was very like and he just again he was giving black uncle black dad energy so it's just like my favorite child moment was when Niles comes back alone yep I think I think I know exactly they lock him out and and one of the what the guy that got hit in the head he's like but what if we're wrong then then we're we're wrong wrong. (laughs) (laughs) he said well then we're wrong but at, at the same time, I, th- I think that is what makes him and McGreedy equals because when uh, McGreedy gets back in and, you know, they're like in there and it, like he's like staring at like, that accusatory gaze, Childs is like, you would have done the same, the same thing. thing. So it's like they they are both in like that tough situation where they have to make those tough calls at at like the behest of there in the rest of the crew's own survival but like somebody's got to do it yeah and you can't take it personal yeah and and they're just the men who can do that they have like the um i don't know if you want to say emotional but they have the emotional um emotional uh resolve the strength to be able to just be like well 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 then well then we're wrong like i don't know that's weird right because like what does it mean that it was a group of all men in this in this very emotionally charged emotion thank you emotionally charged situation because i think that like take alien for example it was ripley and i don't remember the home other girl's name but she was blonde she had blonde i know i know exactly what you're talking about Mm -hmm. but ripley who was very level-headed the blonde girl was very like quote unquote hysterical but a lot of the times the men that surrounded them were like oh whatever like, you know just, you're, you're doing too much yeah or you're thinking too hard about it or whatever and dismiss them because of because of their gender right so in this situation well except for in the in the in the moment where child's trying to be in charge and they were like mm, no i don't think that child's and nulls were ever dismissed because of their race Except for that one instance, but there were there were different times when different men were dismissed because of different reasons, like the guy with the glasses, the windows, windows was dismissed windows. because he was like not this most serious person ever. So yeah, he, he was, was the, he was very he was very like the like the runt of the group almost like very yes. like kind of little brother energy. Yep, and so cute. he was the <laughs> he was the hysterical one out of all of them. Yep. Yep. And had such a horrible death scene. God damn. I felt so oh sorry my for God. him. I felt so I felt sorry so for him. So bad. So bad. The, Those scenes the alien, were my favorite. 
Oh, that that hole in the billiards room or whatever, in the break. They room. were all the whole blood testing thing. Oh, iconic, <laughs> iconic, so good. But then even like when when the guy what what the guy who was who was who was infected and his stomach hurt and they were trying to help him and then his that was, stomach that was opened one up of to the teeth. best ones. Uh, it still Norris. freaks me out every Norris. single time that that man's hands get eaten. I freak Clear. out. <laughs> <laughs> Just chomp. <laughs> Do you know they actually used um a, an actual am- a double amputee for that scene? Really? Uh huh. They had the fake arms or the fake, you know, section of the arms attached, and once it bit down, um, he would pull away, and they would come. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's yeah. really smart, actually. Yeah, and I think it was just the it was just full of jello or whatever. Like that's what we've seen. Again, y'all, the practical effects on this movie, yo. I love like, 80s yo, ingenuity. I love yo, it. they were they were using everything they had available to them. Yeah, Childs was. Um, just like, and with it mean all men, I just think like, but every, every man had a personality flaw that, that set them up to not be trustworthy. I think mm. like Clark was so worried about the dogs that he yep. didn't care about anybody else. Yep. He, Cause McGreedy, he, I, he was definitely the type who liked animals more than people. <laughs> right. McGreedy was a drunk. Yeah. Um, so like there were there were all of these different reasons already of why people didn't like someone more than the other person or whatever. And that affected their decision making going forward. Yeah. And that fed into the paranoia after we found out, because I think that's the other thing that that was always so interesting to me in these situations, because I feel like the the stereotype of men. Right. Is that like we are smart, we are brave, we are hunters, blah, blah, blah. So we wouldn't let, you know, we're smart enough to 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 prevent this before it happens. Mm. And but in this very happened. specific situation, because my thing is, I feel like I love the opening scene. Opening scene is is so perfectly setting up the rest of the movie, because if you are shooting at a dog, the situation must be dire. <laughs> We we got to be in hell for us to be hunting down a dog like this and a cute a cute husky. So I'm like we got like a poster child for like adorable animal, and you are trying to blow it up with dynamite. And the fact that these Norwegian people came through, you didn't even try to, to talk commu- to them. Yeah, because what he said was in English, because he said in Norwegian, but what he said was. Um, get the hell out of there. That's not a dog. It's some sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. imitating a dog. It isn't real. Get away, you idiots. And I just, I hate how no one, had the again, the language barrier, no one could speak a Norwegian. It, would, it was like the ruins all over again. Well, yep. not not really all over again, because this came before the ruins, but you know what I mean. If if only same, if, if only they could speak the language, everything would Alexa, been, translate for me, please. Right. Communication only. is so important. And there was just none there. Because before what because the thing is, you clearly saw that he wasn't shooting at your crew. He walked right, right past them. He was going towards a dog. Yep. And you still shot him dead. Yep. And then the fact that now we we take this dog into our custody and don't put it with the rest of the animals immediately or don't quarantine it immediately is a problem. Like you don't even raise, like you don't even think about 
you don't they didn't even think too hard about why exactly was the dog being shot at right they just Did y'all kind not of... realize that um but and then also even the stupidity when they go to the norwegian base and see that it was burnt down which i love the foreshadowing up to the end of this um and then take something that they tried to burn oh yeah let's, let's take it back to get let's take it back to the site. let's investigate we're gonna this we're gonna bring it back it's fine we'll, we'll is, is, open. is that a man in there like girl don't touch also like just with reckless abandon they invited this thing into their base oh my god just 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 for the just for the thrill just for the thrill mel oh my god um what but since we were talking about um the dog it wasn't credited <laughs> in the credits because i looked but the dog's name was jed and i just wanted to give a shout out to jed because can we just talk about now that was some grade a acting <laughs> i don't know how they trained that dog because huskies as y'all know are like very expressive animals but it wasn't a husky for real it was like half wolf half husky well well mr jed was exhibiting some incredible emotional intelligence like down to the wire it was so especially when you know like it's not really a dog it's just an alien that is that that is imitating a dog because there were so many scenes where it's just the camera is just like focused on it but it's just watching like when it's watching from underneath the uh, pool table table. when when they leave when it's watching when they return when um when it is um slowly going into the kennel just like the way like the way that the dog would just like sit and stare Mm -hmm. like like it was so like that was one of the best not even like i don't even know if you call it practical effect but that was one of the best things about this movie was just like that that kind of the again, like the emotional, I'm using air quotes, the emotional intelligence of that dog, because the way that it really looked like this, especially after you find out what it is, how it really looked like it was like the alien, just like for real studying everything, just like waiting, watching, just like paying attention. And no one caught on because they just thought it was a dog. Yeah. It was like so sentient, like Oh, it was so creepy. That's it was so creepy. That was creepy. When you find out what it is and you replay that shit, that is creepy. Like seriously, it, exactly, Roxy. Like you just you have to look at this. Like y'all, especially if you have never seen this movie, pay attention to that dog. Like it is so scary. It is so creepy. Can I ask you what you thought of all the fade to black? I thought it was very eighties. I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was very a product of its time. No. Like some 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 of them were even like freeze frames, fade to black. Then we go to the next scene. I liked it because it was very like um aesthetic for the time for me at least. Oh well, Todd was was mercilessly ridiculed for that. John Carpenter supported the the decision, but people came for his neck for the for that. And Tom is in the editor. Todd Ramsey edited the film. They didn't have to do Todd like that. They did. They dragged yeah. Todd through the mud. Y'all leave Todd alone, okay? He did fine. I liked it. Also, did you the- did you notice some uh, Bava shots? 
with the lighting that that's the first thing I saw at the very beginning when he was playing chess and his whole face was green. I was like, yes. The one that I noticed was um, the close-ups on Clark with the scalpel, his hand. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that was definitely a Baba shot. That was definitely a Baba shot. Cause you can yeah. see, you can see McCready in the background, but it's a close-up on Clark's hand. Uh-huh. But the lighting, it was like uh-huh. red. It was like green. I was like, Baba. Baba. Don't you love to see it? You love to Baba. see it. I love to see it. But <laughs> I I liked I I don't I didn't know how I felt about the about the editing until I realized that it was based on a book. Mm. Because then it made me feel like, okay, end of chapter one, <laughs> end of chapter two, oh, end of chapter three. And you didn't, li- and you didn't like that because it was like it was it wasn't seamless for you. It was too many no, pauses. I, I I appreciated it after I because like this more than like the, the 1951 version took a lot of liberties with the plot and they just were kind of like willy nilly out there. This really stuck to the source material. And I think that the, those, those like chapter marker moments made the story better. Yeah. I imagine though, when this plays on like TV, I've never watched it on like, you know, like a, a primetime TV, you know, like a regular TV channel. Um, I've never watched it on there, but I imagine that those would be the perfect place for commercial breaks. Yeah. Probably. So, yeah, I don't know why it was a choice to do it like that, but I'm appreciative of Todd. I liked what I saw and I just liked the way that it just really like, uh, it's like a moment in time. Like you see, it's like very 80s. Mm. I don't almost, think that that's almost, 80s. Almost soap opera-y like. I feel I like I've seen that I in soap opera. I think it's a stretch to say the fade to black is an 80s thing. I don't think a lot of people did that. Mm. Well, it's just, it doesn't feel very modern day though. Well, no, because nobody edits like that. <laughs> so I don't know, but I I, I personally enjoyed it. I did. Um and then we really wanted to, we should move into um, who we really want to give a shout out here today talking about this is the person who was in charge of the uh, special effects. And they go by the name of Rob Botton, who I think at the time of the film shooting or um, post-production, he was only 21. 22. 22 early 20s which is not uh just a couple years behind um keith david so button was um hired by um carpenter because um i think he was one of the only ones who didn't want to who didn't want to like veer from like the short story too much because a lot of people um who had come on were trying to make it its own thing or do something different and Carper didn't want to do that. So I believe the two basically helped each other um, discover cultivate and actually, you know, create each other's visions, like bring them to life. But Botten was over here, like doing so much work. Like he didn't leave. I read he didn't leave the universal studio a lot for like a year. He was sleeping in locker rooms there. That's not good. It's not. He he really became. That's not healthy. He really became consumed by the work. He really did, like healthy having stress dreams and writing about work and writing down um, any interesting ideas that came from those dreams. Like Rob really put himself through the fucking ringer. Uh, I don't think he took a day off or took any vacation days. He just he just went in 
and kept going in. And he had a, he had a team behind him as well, but his visions were just just looking how they all turned out on camera. It's crazy because they were using a bunch of stuff like I, I said Jello. Um, they were using like why jelly? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> if they if this movie was not going to be a spokesperson for um or uh, for um. For JMB um, alcohol, it should have been, uh, it could have easily been one for KY Jelly because a lot of the special effects um, use that, especially like the one where it, it was um, Benning's when he's getting assimilated that, with the mm-hmm. tentacles. That, mm-hmm. was, that was him like uh, covered in or doused in KY Jelly. So I love it. I do. <laughs> but also like my guy's resume is extensive oh yeah oh, he yeah. did rock and roll high school oh yeah he did the fog he did humanoids from the deep the howling witches of eastwick robocop one and two total recall seven mission impossible fear and loathing in las vegas fight club he was on he did work on game of thrones like my guy's resume it's there. Like, don't play with him. Don't play. <laughs> don't play, because he knew he knew what he was doing, even if it was like he knew who he was, even him. though he was being ridiculous and and, and not taking care of himself, because he yeah. ended up in the hospital. He did. He did. Oh my god! It's oh my god. <laughs> oh my god! Creators, they they really be sometimes they really be working themselves into the ground. But you know what? It's stuff like that that people try to be like, you got to pay your dues. That's not dues. That's psychosis. <laughs> that's not That's not normal. That should not be the standard. You should not tell a 22-year-old kid you have to kill yourself for this job. That's crazy. That freaking 24-7 grind culture shit. I hate it. I'm just like, you can make things and be a whole human. Oh, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Oh man. So yeah, Botten, uh, he worked with the team. Um, they put all this stuff together through the use of like practical effects. Um, the movie was storyboarded extensively, which I feel like helped them get um a feel for like sets and how everything was gonna move around. I mean, and it takes a village. He had a lot of help too. Somebody named Stan Winston also helped him out, especially with the uh the dog thing creature design um but he didn't want credit for his work he he insisted that um botten himself receive all the credit um which i think is is very sweet but um they still thanked winston in the credits he got like a special thank you and i just what i love about this movie is behind the scenes how it all came together like um through botten through the score through uh, Carpenter and like the fact and all the rewrites and all, you know, just how it came together. Like, I think a, 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 a village really put this thing together, um, even though it was not the easiest thing to do at all, um, which makes me even sadder because of how this movie was initially received. Oh, it's flopped. It flopped big time. Yeah, Mel, this and Blade Runner. You, yeah, why don't you tell people? big time. Why don't you tell the people? <laughs> Talk to the people about it. Hold on, hold on. So this came out in 1982. Yeah, picture it. Antarctica winter 1982. And it came out in like June. 
It right? sure did. <laughs> it was a summer release. <laughs> Which is so bananas to me. <laughs> it was a um, summer release. Did you know Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, um, hosted the premiere? Did she? She did. Oh, great. And if you dressed up as a monster, you got free admission. Of course. That's so cool. Oh my God. So cool. (laughs) But so to put this also into context, right? Because this came out and and, um, Blade Runner came out on the same day, right? They both released boom, boom, boom. But also, like, what was dominating the box office was like E.T., Annie, (laughs) Miss Frisbee. You know what I mean? Like, it, even though Miss Frisbee is more on this side than that side, it was all like happy go lucky. We're was, in a good mood. It was very much happy girl summer. Even like though we're, we're outside yes. with family, we're happy, we're joyous. Woo. Reagan is in office, carefree. It's cute. Nobody. We, we, we need to smile. To Nobody wanted to see this. <laughs> So, you because know, the thing and- was very much the opposite the thing was very dark, very um, vi- uh, gr- uh, grotesque, violent. Um, and the biggest word that I keep seeing is uh, it was a. Uh, oh, my God. Grease 2 came out the weekend before E.T. came out the weekend before. Yeah, it was very nihilistic. Mm-hmm. So it was it just didn't it was it was too much. I think too much <laughs> for people because people, you know, I want to listen to a little orphan girl sing about happiness. I don't want to oh. have to think about, <laughs> I don't want to have to think about not being able to trust my neighbors and all and, and, and in looking inward because the ending of this film is not happy and it's not conclusive there's no bow that ties up this story and then you can put it down because the ending is so open to interpretation on a lot of different levels. Like all of these things, the paranoia, the depression, the darkness, the, the gruesomeness of what you saw kind of stay with you because there's no, there's not, there's not like an ending. I don't feel like. You really thought so you, so that, so that, so for you, the ending fell flat. No, that's not that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Like this for the people. No, 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 no. So how how all right, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the the OG. We watch these kids get murdered, then Sally's in a then Sally is in a truck at the end and she escapes and it's over. And we know that Leatherface is back in his barn, but Sally got away. Thank you so much. I can put this book down and I can live the rest of my life because the themes that we're exploring in, because the themes that we're exploring in the thing are less like slasher, slasher, getcha, getcha, and more a social commentary on, on like McCarthyism. You can't trust your neighbor. Who's this person? Who's that person? Like, uh, how do we balance camaraderie in a time where I have to, where trust has to be earned in a very specific way and can be lost at any second? And then because the end, like I like we said earlier, it's debatable if child is infected or not. We don't know. That's not that's never solidified, and we. we 
um, McReady says, let's just sit here and, and see what happens. And then the camera pulls out and then it ends. So we don't know if they survived or if they didn't. We don't know if Childs was infected and then infected McReady or not. We don't know. And so because there's not that singular moment of, of finality where we can put a pin in it, you, I think that those things and those feelings linger with you after the film is over because now you have to sit there and think about it because every time I watch this movie, I never remember the ending in my head. Seriously? I walk like in my head, the, the, them blowing up the spaceship is where it ends. Like if I haven't watched this movie in six months, it's like, oh yeah, there was an explosion. But then re-watching it, you realize there's these whole moments after that of discussion and dialogue and like all these other things that happen. And when it ends, because it just pulls out into the snow and then the credits start to roll, you have to really sit there and think about, well, dang, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I'm my life. I feel I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I don't know how to feel. There's, there's a lot that goes on in the ending. That that's like subtextual information that really feed into what I think the film is about. <sighs> because it's like, what does it mean that the most depressed person in the entire group were was able to make very definitive life or death situation like decisions at the at the drop of a at the drop of a hat? Like you said, when the dogs were infected, he was the one rallying the troops and giving out orders and go get the flamethrower and you get your gun and you sit down and blah, blah, blah. And then as we kept going, he kept making very definitive decisions. Put the dock in the shed. We can't trust him. He goes outside. We can't trust that hoe. When he gets back in, I, well, I'll, I'll kill us all. I really don't care. <laughs> you want us all hell. This, you want to play this game with me? You want to play? And so it's like, like, because I have a question for you. Do you think he McReady is a heroic character? For like what the situation called for, I think he rose to like the he rose to the mantle. Like he took on that role. But I I just think he was just chosen to I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. A heroic character. I don't know if I would use the word hero. I would use survivalist. Okay. I don't know if I would use the word hero. I would say preservationist. Ah. He was, you know, as everyone was, everyone was concerned. I think everyone's motivation was self-preservation. Everyone did everything in their power to prove that they were not a thing. Because that was the difference between living for the next 10 minutes or being tortured, torched with a flamethrower by your colleague. (laughs) That's it. That's all. That's That's all. That's it. That's all. I don't know. I just... The reception that this movie got, I feel, um, was very upsetting to me because while Mel has, um, like, if she hasn't seen the movie in a while, she forgets the ending. Um, I was living in a bubble until today because I had no idea that this movie 
was so hated upon release. Back in summer of 1982, critics lambasted the thing so bad that it fucked up John Carpenter's bag. Oh, yeah, he got fired. He got dropped like, like... They, the, um, I think the studio he had a contract with at the time, they bought him out of it. They sure did. They were like, you They're know like, what? You know, you know what? what, John? You had a good run. This was cute. Fuck off for me, okay? So instead it, it of like those other three movies or whatever we had planned, we just gonna give you this lump sum. Get out. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Security. Security. Thank you. Pit crew. Shut up. Shut up. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my goodness. But that that just made me so sad, y'all. I had no idea because and he said, like, yeah, I still went on to make like other movies and I was still successful, but he kept saying, like, things would have been different. My career would have been different. Like if the thing did not flop, if the thing say had the same success that ET or whatever had, if if it was like a success. John Carpenter's career definitely would have been different, but I had no idea before, before I read about all this today, I had no idea it had even gotten that way. I had no idea it even had that trajectory or it had changed in such a way after this movie. Like, like, damn. If his career would have done what it was quote unquote supposed to do, we never would have got Prince of Darkness. Mm-hmm. We never would have gotten the Mouth of Madness. And I'm just like, uh-huh. I would uh-huh. rather have those two movies than whatever, than... And I, I like, I love you, John. I'm so sorry. You, you did all this. like, you went through all these things. I get it, right? Like hard times, inner saboteur telling you that you're not like not worth anything. I get it, but like, oh, because <laughs> it's just, I'm just, I'm just mad. I'm just, mad. I feel like, um, it's very, I, I feel very much like, um, Huey from, um, a human free, uh, Huey Freeman Christmas with the Boondocks, where it's just like they didn't understand his vision. Yeah, because it was ahead of its time. The thing was such a was, and like I don't say that lightly because I hate when people say that. But like that that movie was really like made in the right time for the right reasons. Right. But not, but no one got it. Right. Right. The people, the the people were not ready for it, and that's why, that's why it um experienced a resurgence and became a cult classic once it reached home video and once it um, started being shown like on television that's when it reached a whole slew of other people like a generation people started to see it differently now today it's regarded as one of like the best sci-fi horror films of all time again it's in its influence is illustrious it's everywhere um very ubiquitous and it's just very people refer to this movie or come back to it a lot it's inspired a lot of um like creativity and again the special effects nothing like Y'all, this movie will be 40 freaking years old this year. And I can tell you, watch this stuff. No one, like these effects, they stand the test of time. They still make your skin crawl 40 years later. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it's like you you can't get that anywhere else. You like but this, but the the material is is timeless because the ideas here apply to living through the pandemic see i wasn't gonna even go there i wasn't even gonna bring, oh, no, we, uh, i wasn't even gonna bring that bitch rona up but you just did so because like you know you go outside you go to the grocery store and everyone kind of has this general trust as long as you have on a mask 
But the second your mask is on wrong, the second I'm in a grocery store and you don't have it on, it's now, the thing. Right. And it's a copy, it's an imitation. And everyone is looking around like, who is this person and what are you doing? There's an automatic distrust that just kind of it was permeates. Real, it was real bad, like say like that first eight, nine months of pandemic. Yeah. It was real bad. Because you don't want to, I remember, because you remember. Or even if you would cough, even if, even, even if you would cough. It was, every, to this day, let you, let you be on the subway train and cough. Every go, and everybody going to look at you like you're crazy and go get up and leave because I do it too. I'm like, look, I got to go. I can't, I can't, I can't. Clock out for me, baby. Clock out. I got to go. Clock out. I got to go. Clock out. <laughs> Clock out for me, baby. And, and again, <laughs> right? Like, I think that one of the core themes of this is, is community building and cooperation to make the thing happen uh-huh. because in this movie you no one could do this alone no one could survive alone yeah and that was like the really they big obstacle they didn't want to make they did they did not want to let each other out of their sights because if they were there's a good chance that they could have gotten got and that's what was happening at the beginning of the movie like one i think norris um, the one, the uh, the one with the uh, the the, ch- the the chest chump or the stomach chump. Mm-hmm. I think Norris got turned the earliest. I feel like he was the first one because there oh, was that scene. The shadow with the yeah, shadow. Yeah, I think that was him because I kept thinking like, whose hair looks like that? So, whose silhouette looks like that? Who's? I think fact, it was Norris. It wasn't fact, Norris. It wasn't Norris. Fact, I don't know who it was. Because the the person who they use for the shadow is none of the actors and is none of the cast. They, Are they you found some, me? They found someone else so that you couldn't, so that you could, you know what I mean? Oh my was, God. Mm-hmm. So we don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Oh my God. I need to know. I'm, I'm very dojo right now. I need to know. <laughs> oh my God. That is like, crazy. A, that was such a smart idea because you really can't pinpoint who was in the room with the that's dog. Crazy. They did the same thing in Yellow Jackets. At the remember the uh ver- the first the very first episode when they're on the snow after they dump that like Misty is the only one we recognize after she takes off her mask. But everyone oh, yeah. else, everyone else, everyone else that is masked um was actually none of the girls. It was like just the crew. Oh so we don't know who that who it was. That's crazy. I really, I, cause I'm really the whole time. I've never really explicitly thought about who it was that in the room. went in the room. And I really think it was Norris because the hair. Now I don't know anymore. Cause you're saying like, it was the, it was never even anyone on the, <gasps> the world will never know. The world will never know. I don't know. Yeah. This movie, the special effects, the tension, and just like because it's 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 very much like werewolves with uh not werewolves within um the beast must die. Yes. Okay. I had the, a brain fart, but I was like, yeah. that's not it. <laughs> I said the dead must die. No, <laughs> it, was very, must die. it was very much like the beast must die, where it's like the audience is in it too, where you're trying to guess who is who, but instead of it being like instead of it being like one of them is a werewolf, it's like multiple multiple of them could be the thing but you mm-hmm. don't know because it's it can do a perfect copy like even right down to norris and his uh his heart attack yeah because apparently it takes on now it can't we found this out in um the prequel called the thing that came out in 2011 with mary elizabeth winston we found out that it cannot copy inorganic material 
Because mm-hmm. in that movie, it was spitting. Somebody out. had like a filling. Yeah, it was spitting out. It was spitting out their fillings. Um, and so with this one, apparently, it can when it absorbs them and imitates them, it can also imitate or clone their health problems. Yeah. So Norris apparently had a weak heart or something because he had a heart attack from all the excitement, but then of course transformed. The whole scene was incredible. I just I wonder I really wonder what it would have been like to be in the 80s, opening night in the theater, seeing that shit with a crowd full of people. Oh god, like again, the effects, the tension, the suspense, uh that whole scene with the Norris and then how if that if the if that wasn't enough it was the head breaking off the body and becoming like uh like a spider like thing and how um Palmer is like oh you've got to be fucking kidding <laughs> like that was such a good scene some movie some movie in the past couple years um paid homage to that almost verbatim like and i could and i just knew exactly what they were paying homage to like immediately and he was like oh you've got to be i forgot oh man i cannot remember what it was y'all but they it was they paid homage to that scene and the thing i also loved how um again i loved the the chemistry like the back and forth um between McCready and Child. It was one of the best things about the movie because um where McCready is like, I'm gonna have to kill you if you like, you know, don't let or some shit. And Child's like, then kill me. Like very very touch gun. I'm serious. Straight face. Yes you are. <laughs> You're not gonna tie me up. <laughs> then kill me. And um when and when McCready did um, his own test, you know, with the blood and nothing happened, uh, Childs was immediately like, that's a crock of shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, they did not like each other. And I love that. And then when he did, that. when he tested Clark's blood and he was like, I guess that makes you a murderer. <laughs> right. He said, then, he said, then Clark was human, huh? Which makes you a murderer, don't it? I was like, you, that's petty. How petty are we right now? He said, which makes you a murderer, don't it? Oh my God. So black. I love it. I love it. Keith David is a is a blessing on this freaking earth. And I really, really need to finish Greenleaf. I am so <laughs> behind. I'm I feel like I'm in season two. I'm so behind. But yeah, y'all get y'all, y'all really got if y'all haven't already, y'all really gotta give. Keith David his things because he has been doing this damn thing for a long time and uh, I wish we would see him in uh, more horror films because he did this one and then you know he's done Tales from the Hood before but yeah it just he uh, he did such a good job in this film Um, another good quote was from Gary when he's like after all that shit happened with Palmer transforming and uh killing windows and all that stuff where he's like after gary gets tested his blood is okay he's the last one be he's the last one on the couch tied up. The rest of my winter died to this couch. he said i know you gentlemen have been through a lot but when you find the time <laughs> i'd rather not spend not the rest of this, rest of this winter, winter tied to this I fucking couch <laughs> i felt so bad that he went through all of that just to get his face sucked Oh yeah, because the, the the fingers just yeah went into his into skin. 
yeah, Blair, Blair was the biologist, the group. Mm-hmm. And um and yeah, Bear was a biolog uh, Blair was the biologist, and um Dr. Copper was the doctor of the group. And Blair was the one who first caught on to how serious things were. I love were. his reaction. That is my favorite thing. He I'm just, locking my office, I'm loading my gun. Y'all, y'all figure it out. <laughs> he just shut down. He just he went, he went straight like unplug like when because windows was like the comms person so after um blair gets done with all his stuff in the office he goes to the comms room where windows is like fucks windows up like poor windows you see how he was like like he was all hurt over there but blair is over here like screaming his head off while breaking down all the communication machines with an axe talking about like it's not gonna get me or uh you think like you guys think it wants to i forget the line but he was like it wants to be us like all this stuff and that scene where they took him down was funny as hell because that that yeah. stock punch sound that they mm-hmm. used mm-hmm. like they dogpiled his ass that was crazy but yeah blair was blair was like when do you think Blair got turned, though? I think, I don't know. It had to have been when he was when alone. He was in out the, in the yeah, shed. it had to be because. And c- c- I'm trying to think, like, when do you think it was before or after Fuchs died? It had to be. I don't know because he was the one that said it's not Fuchs. That's not Fuchs. Hmm. Mm, I don't know. It might have been before. Because if he, because that's when he kept trying to come back inside. So yeah, he's like, I'm not going to hurt anybody. Just let me back inside. I'm fine. I it, so I think he might have been infected then. I'm good. Because then, because, okay, that's always something I've been confused about. This whole spaceship thing in the bottom. Oh, that the mini one? Yeah. <laughs> the little mini Because <laughs> that means, Bla- because that's why I think Blair had to be infected before Fuchs was dead. Because he was running around outside getting the materials to build the ship. Right, because Fuchs did see... So that's why Fuchs was out there. He, he, he heard, he saw someone that was inside. Then right. if you look very closely, you could see someone kind of like almost, almost past the periphery of light that ran over to the left. And I think that's where he followed. What upset me about Fuchs, though, because I really liked Fuchs. And there was one critic who said when they were talking about how nihilistic the movie was like that there was no like joy in it they they had nerve to say there was no romance and i was thinking that if there was going to be any romance between any of these men it would have been between macready and fuchs i don't know if it's just me maybe it is but i just saw like some chemistry there like this natural kind of like how they secret love Because McCready is like the big, like, because he's like the leader. He's like the man of the group. And, and Fuchs is like, McCready, like, I need to, like, I need to talk to you. Like, Can I you, talk to you alone? Like, Please? Please? RJ, please? Not RJ. The only person who calls in that. <laughs> like, hey, you know, I hate when, you know, I hate when you call me that in front of the others. Like, that's just for us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm about to turn into um, Jared Roberts writing this shit. But <laughs> oh, <shut up. laughs> as he as he went into the helicopter and his brown beard bristled in the moonlight, I don't know. 
know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But um, I just felt like it's coming soon. For real, I just felt like there was gonna be any romance because um, and Carpenter Queens, y'all can jump in anytime here. But I just feel like um, it would have been too easy if it was Childs and McCready because that's the whole you know enemies to lovers thing. We don't need that. I just felt that it was more tender for it to be McCready and Fuchs. Not more tender. Yeah, that's I just more tender. Yes, I just I just felt I just felt that like the whole um, I'm how, assuming. Because he, because um, Fuchs apparently trusted McCready a lot, and I think really saw him as someone he can. Because that's why he's talking about we need to talk about Blair. Like I'm worried about Blair. We don't talk about Blair, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> we don't talk about Blair. Yeah, we don't talk about Blair. But that <laughs> if there was going to be any romance, I think it should have been between them two. But anyway, I brought Fuchs up to say that I was really sad that he died off screen because we don't know if he died because the thing got him or if he committed suicide because it was about to get him. Because the only thing we saw out there was his... We, also, why, did, body. why didn't they hear anything? Was there a storm going on? Did the wind drown it out? All they saw was like burned ass remains and Fuchs glasses. Yeah. And McGrady couldn't, you know, really show any emotion that he had lost his man because he had to be strong in front of the others. <laughs> you know, he couldn't show that he was that his secret love or die, you know, anyway. But yeah, his glasses were the only evidence like that. It was really like him, but he was out there alone. So I'm trying to figure out, did it get him or, or was it about to, and he just burned, burned them both or, or tried to burn it and burn. I don't know, but I was very sad that one, I was sad that he died because I really liked his character Mm -hmm. and I was sad. I was sad that he died like isolated like alone and that we didn't get to see it because it was he died off screen and Nalls died off screen mm, yep windows yep, he just disappeared windows we saw clark got shot bennings um was partly assimilated uh, um assimilated and burned norris was burned because he was a thing uh dr dr copper got his um arms eaten off so he died um child's ambiguous palmer was a thing and he also got burned mm-hmm. again Nalls disappeared and blair was the thing and he got he got blown up yep and mccree was the only in one his left. underground cavern and his underground freaking cavern uh, did, and that's what i like about this movie because they use so many different types of effects from like all the you know like it was puppetry it was uh like you know moles and stuff even stop motion like the thing oh, with the, the little the little spider thing the, the blair thing um mm-hmm. at the end when he grabbed the um the um the switch for the uh, for the explo- the explosives that was stop motion oh wow i that didn't was, know that. that if you look if you look it's that that was stop motion so it's really just cool how they were really utilizing all these different things <clears throat> to make it this one cohesive picture and um which brings us to like the um the ending now there's been so much debate about this and apparently john had shot or had other endings in mind where McCready made it out or where it was just McCready himself. Um, but what they decided to do was it ended with McCready and Childs being the only two left. Because if you remember, 
um, after McCready and Gary and Nalls, who went outside to go see what Blair was up to. And that's when I discovered that his little underground mini spaceship and Childs was back at base by himself. And McCready had told him before he left, like, if, if, they come back alone or Blair comes back. If Blair himself, comes back without us, burn him. Yeah. Burn him. So Childs is by himself. When those three come back, Childs is gone. We don't know where Childs is. We don't see Childs again until the very end of the movie with him being the only one there left aside from McCready. And he had said that he saw Blair walking around and went out after him and got lost in the storm. So we, we know at, at least, I mean, we think we know because McCready has been on screen like majority of the time that McCready is still human. We don't know if we don't know if child, child. is still human. Mm-hmm. And basically, they just resolve. They're just like, well, there's not much we can fucking do about it now. Like, we're like the temperature's high, right? It's warm right now because the camp is on fire, but it's going to die down. And there's we blew everything up, so we're going to freeze to death, and that's it. So they just they decided to share a drink together. I think they finally see each other as equals. They 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 just find like they they give up the ghost and they're just like, there's not shit else we can do about this or to each other. So let's just have a drink about it. I I actually love that ending. I just thought it was very like, especially with it being like, it was nice to see all this how violent everything was and how despair despair and, is nice and how at each other's throats they were just to see them like kind of just resolve to share a drink at the end i just really like that and how it wasn't resolve everyone is equal in death (laughs) i'm not gonna keep fighting with you we about to die you want a shot i got a shot (laughs) because at this point if you're an alien i'm gonna die if you're not we're both gonna die so what you the want, fuck else is there? Take this drink. Pass the Dutch. <laughs> oh my god! But um, and a lot of a lot of audiences did not like this ending. A lot of critics happy ending. A lot of critics did not like this ending. Like people, that was one of the that was one of the things why people did not like this movie because they did not like the ending. They felt it was incomplete, or they felt it wasn't giving what it needed to be gave. But I just, but I liked it. It just, I just, it ended on like this note where it's ambiguous. It's kind of just like you know, this is just where things go. I and I just and uh, um, shout out to Kurt and um, Keith. They just like I just like their on screen banter. I just I really enjoyed it. So I like the ending. I think it worked for the screenplay because it didn't. Not everything has to end with a nice pretty bow. What What do you have to say? What do you think? I mean, I think it goes back to what I said before, right? Like a lot of horror films. Because even if you think about this, like it's contemporaries, like The Fly or like Contagion or whatever else that came out that year. Um, hold on, let me just- In 1982? So in 1982, the I think the other like high profile horror movies that came out in the United States were Slumber Party Massacre, mm. Poltergeist, oh, Basket Lord. Case, and um, House on Sorority Row. Speaking of poltergeist, that was another thing that uh, contributed to 
the thing not doing well at the box office because the thing was rated R, which doesn't limit, you know, the audience because you, you have to be 17 or up to go be able to see it. Yeah. So so this is definitely not a failing film. I mean, hashtag FTK anyway. Um <laughs> with Poltergeist, which is crazy, unbelievable to me, that was actually rated PG. And so was that it? was yes. They had real skeletons in that movie. That was rated yes, PG. It was PG. Ah! It was wow. PG. So that was going to get um, a wider audience of people to see it. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Because PG-13, PG-13 is still fairly new. When it, was PG-13 introduced um, before or after Poltergeist? July 1st, 1984. So after. That's why, because I guarantee you, if Poltergeist was 1985, PG-13. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome, though. <laughs> but so, but like, to look at its contemporaries, like, Poltergeist, as an example, has a definitive ending. We got scared. A woman came in. She cleansed the house. The ghosts are gone. Woohoo. The house is clean. And I think that the, the, the whole idea of body snatchers resonates because it could be anybody. It could be your wife. It could be a husband. It could be your best friend. It could be your neighbor. It could be the mailman. And those ideas aren't, don't have definitive endings. There's no way to just like, okay, we're done with this. And that's a, that's a really heavy thing to have to think through, especially when there's always this misconception of horror movies of they're always going to be these like D list slash fests with a lot of young women, naked young women, and they're getting murdered all over the place. And then that's it, right? So I think that especially in the 80s, something this this heavy and this deep and this introspe- introspective was a surprise. And what do you do with that when you think that you're going to get House and Sorority Row? What do you do with that when you are expecting another version of Poltergeist? What do you do with with this like cultural mirror? What do you do with that? You break it. <laughs> right. You say it's trash. <laughs> and then 40 years later, there's a bunch of kids being like, what is wrong with you, Roger? Because Roger Ebert gave like the review he wrote was deadly. Oh man, not no, oh, not and Ebert. then the, the review in the Times, oh, deadly. No. Uh man see everything it just makes me sadder and sadder just knowing like he was going through it back then because this film is so y'all i love this film so much i love it and it just it really hurt my feelings today to know like 40 years ago how people were not into it and how john carpenter really like was he like he missed a lot of good opportunities for this shit like damn and he actually like he at one point regretted it he at one point regretted making this film because of how badly it affected him in his career but as y'all see he had a resurgence and he was good but he did say he thinks his career would have been very different if this had been well received or maybe if he had never made it but i his favorite film though i know he he, he he later did say that too so i am glad that there has been like that uh uh i don't know like um uh, it's like a lotus 
blossom how this beautiful thing has grown from the the mud <laughs> so <laughs> i yeah i i love this film so so much and i love that today it's finally being seen in the way that um it it should have been seen when it was first released but again sign of the times the people just weren't ready for that yet um and the nihilism wasn't in because i mean at the time um people were in it, it there was a recession people needed an escape people needed happiness people didn't need to see um more despair <laughs> yeah and i mean because uh it, right down to the color palette like <laughs> it's just people people didn't need that but i just think that this movie is so good and it stands strongly on its own two feet and i am definitely going to read the um the um who goes there um novella that it's based on this year i'm very excited for that because apparently in the in the in the novella instead of 12 people it was 37 but was they, it 37 people well yeah. okay in the in the in the 51 version there's so many people there are so many people in that dang movie. They lowered that because it um, budget, but also it just would have been too, it would have been overwhelming for the audience to try to even keep up with that many people. And you wouldn't be able to do like um, enough character focus because even though this film didn't do like um, too much of that, we got enough to know like kind of who these characters were like, um, like and who they were with each other. So I'm glad they lowered it down, but I'm very interested to read um, what, you know, what uh, what was translated from page to screen or like, you know, what the differences are. Um, I'm just, and yeah, I'm very excited to kind of read this in like, you know, um, prose form and see how that goes. Um, did you know that there was a, someone wrote a short from the perspective of the thing yeah isn't it called um the things yeah yeah peter watts he wrote it um in january 2010 you guys can find this on clark's world um science fiction fantasy magazine um clarksworld.com this is from um issue 40 and it's a short story um and wow um, it was a 2011 hugo award nominee 2010 BSFA Award finalist, 2010 Shirley Jackson Award winner, 2011 finalist in the Locus Award for Best Short Story, and a 2011 Theodore Sturgeon Award nominee. So I'm definitely going to read this as well. So um, it's just that this film has such a big legacy and it still stands well 40 years later. And it's just, I, I love it so much. And I highly recommend that you guys see it. It's a I would say it's a staple over here in Scarecrit land, you know, and um, yeah, I, I think that I hope the cast is doing good nowadays. Like Kurt and uh, Keith are still out here working. Um, John Carpenter and like is the I mean, he, this is the same guy who made Halloween, y'all. Just so y'all, I mean, but y'all knew that. But the, you know that this is his, the, the thing is the first movie that he did not compose himself. Oh yeah, some oh yeah, we need to give a shout out to um Ennio Morricone who did the score. Um because John reached out to him because I think he had <laughs> I think he um had uh Ennio's music playing at his wedding. So he reached out to him to do the score for the thing and 
the thing is very like minimalist when it comes to the score. Like there's this like when they when they find the um it's like the the title theme, like that dun dun mm-hmm. dun dun. And then the scene where uh Blair and McCready find the um ice casing that the alien broke out of at the Norwegian site, like that the the was it a violin, like the string, like the mm-hmm. very very almost not is it psycho-esque? I don't know. Well, maybe not that. Every maybe. violin is psycho-esque. All of them. <laughs> like very like dramatic and drawn out. But yeah, I love the score. Um, and I think that was another thing critics didn't like. And I'm just like, oh my God, y'all just, y'all don't know what good cinema is, I swear. Yeah, y'all. That was the thing. Uh, any any final curls or you know? Um. Give us a, actually, you know, yes, that was the thing. Thank you so much for listening to our 50th episode. Cheers. We, we appreciate you and your time. We should Thank take you for a, coming on this ride. We should take a shot to celebrate or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but so as always, like subscribe to us wherever you're listening and leave us a rating. It helps all the things yeah we love reviews share us to more people you know um grow our audience uh subscribe to our website like the email list and just let us know how we're doing and um yeah we will definitely be back next week um with mm-hmm. with you know our grand new black history movies you know uh well for black history month um just to close out uh february for like the last two weeks coming up here and yeah we just we can't wait we're very excited um well i'm off to watch um this new episode of euphoria and then um um my brother is uh begging me to also watch the new episode of attack on titan that just premiered today so we can talk about that uh because things oh god everything is so intense right now (laughs) everything is intense anywhere i watched i watched demon slayer my anxiety, man. My anxiety. Yeah. So, well, y'all have a good one, and we'll see you next week. Yep. See you in the future. <laughs> <laughs>